Speaking of Joshua and a few of his brothers this summer were blessed with pool passes in the Green Bay area. And when we got those pool passes, we didn't realize that they would be for all three of the pools in the city. And it's been a great summer to have pool passes. About a week ago, during one of those scorching afternoons, I accompanied the boys to Joanne's Park. And not only for the diving board, or for the water slide, or just to cool off in the pool, but I found myself sitting in a chair and just observing this throng of kids and their parents. I just wondered how many more kids you could put into a pool. And then... I made some observations. One of the things I've learned about children is that when they are excited, it's very difficult to have them walk. And so repeatedly I heard lifeguards with this homemade megaphone saying, walk, do not run. And I thought to myself, now why is that rule in place? And then I thought back to when I was a kid, of the times that I stubbed toes running on concrete. I can also remember how that concrete can get slippery when it is wet and how I personally slipped and fell and how I had friends fall. And I thought, you know, that's a good rule. Don't run on concrete. Another thing I observed as I was watching these kids come down one after the other in a water slide or off the diving board, is the order. The next child was not permitted to go until the first one had gotten all the way to the ladder. And I thought, no, why so orderly and why so methodical until I heard a whistle blow and a a lifeguard was actually rescuing a kid. And I thought, well, now there's a good reason for that. Because if everyone went when they wanted to, and it was a free-for-all, how would the lifeguard know which one to rescue? And then the next day, my wife and boys told me of another person that went down this, this water slide, and they were so excited but didn't calculate that the water was 12 feet deep on the other side of that slide, and they didn't think... I can't swim. And so how important it was for the lifeguard to be poised to be ready to rescue another child. And as I walked away from that pool experience, I was reminded that those rules were not given to hinder freedom or fun. Rather, they were provided for enjoyment and safety and life. Over this past summer now, what we are doing is looking at a a different set of rules or guidelines for our enjoyment and freedom, and they are found in the 20th chapter of the book of Exodus, where I want to call your attention to the third commandment. Perhaps there would be a a benefit to, to getting on the runway and just reminding you where we have been over the last couple of messages. 
We learned in chapter 20, verse 1, that these commandments are from God himself. As it says, and God spoke all these words, saying. And then we learned in verse 2 that, that these commands are given to us on the other side of God's people being delivered or being saved. It says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. So these people that are hearing these words and us today, it's not so much that we, that we keep these commandments in order to be delivered and saved. Rather, we keep them because we have been delivered or saved. And then one of these guidelines for a fulfilled free life is the first commandment, verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. That is, if you want the ultimate satisfaction in life, that you will have God first above everything else. The second guideline or commandment is that you, in verse 4 and 5 and 6, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to the thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. The second commandment reminds us That if we really want to know God, we will not know God by creating Him in our own image, but by allowing Him to reveal Himself through the Scriptures to us. And then our third commandment, or pathway to freedom, really is found here in verse 7, which will be the basis of our message today. Look on with me now in chapter 20, verse 7. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Our fathers, we reflect now on this opportunity for enjoyment and life and joy. I pray that your spirit would just take these words. And just add clarity to them. And that he would be free to point out the sin in our life. And lead us to the forgiveness that we can have in Christ. And in an obedience we can experience the joy and the intentions that you've had for our life from the very beginning. In Jesus name. Amen. Several years ago, my wife and I were like what many of you were experiencing. She was expecting, and it was the time to pick out a name. And so we did what many in this room did. We got ourselves a book, and we looked at a list of various names and the meaning of those names. Some of those names we liked, but because of a, a bad experience with someone with that name, we quickly ruled them out. Others, we like those names, but we found out that we had family members with those names, and you can't do a repeat. And then there's also the, how you offer a first 
middle and last name. And so they have to have a good sound as you blurt them all out. And then as a pastor, one who was preaching through books of the Bible, the books like Joshua and Titus, as I was preaching through them, took a special appeal. And I said, you can't beat these names. Why don't we name some sons after them? But for us, and we see this pattern throughout Scripture, that when you name one, it is an expression of your authority over them. Adam named the animals, and Adam named Eve, and that was to say he is over, or he has leadership over them. But for us, when we name a person, or for that matter, name a pet, it's just a title. In fact, sometimes we, we name them, but the meaning behind that doesn't really correlate. I can think of nicknames. I, I had a friend in college who was six foot 11 inches tall, and we called him Tiny. <laughs> and you probably have met someone that's very broad the other way, and they're called Slim. That, that, that's right. But when we think about God's name, it's very different. He is the only one who has not been named. He discloses who he is to us. And not only that, but God's name and his identity are inseparable. And earlier in this book in Exodus chapter 3, when Moses was commissioned to be able to lead God's people from Egypt... Moses, in verse 13, says, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? In verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am, he said to him. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And when God used these words, I am, they were full of self-disclosure, that he is eternal, that he does not need anyone, and that he is all-powerful. When God revealed his name, he was also revealing his character. So at the beginning of our service, when I asked you to offer your favorite name of God, we heard names like Jehovah Ra, the Lord is my shepherd. Jehovah Rapha, the Lord that heals. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is at peace. And here's the point, that when God offered his name, he was also disclosing who he was. Because God's name and his identity are inseparable. And so now we look at verse 7. If you want to live the ultimate fulfilled life, You have to value God's name because to value God's name is to value God himself. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. This is what the commandment is. The word name here carries the heavy weight of God's entire reputation, his identity, and his glory. The word Vain here means empty, worthless, or no good purpose. So to take God's name in vain 
is to empty his name of the weight of his glory. So number one in your outline, if you're following along with me, we can take God's name in vain when we, number one, fail to keep an oath. How is it then we we take God's name in vain? Well, when you look at the language here, one way that we can violate this commandment is when we fail to keep an oath. That phrase, take the name, is a phrase that was often used in the courtroom. We've seen this in movies or television programs as a person is being sworn in. They say something like, I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help me God. In Leviticus 19 verse 12, one of these commands says, you shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. So to take God's name in vain in this context is to swear by his name a pledge or a promise and not to actually keep that promise or pledge. When I was in high school, there was a two guy, a couple of guys, and they were issued a traffic citation. And they decided to fight it in court. And so these two guys got their stories straight, and they went into court. And I remember one of my friends retelling the story over a couple of cokes. He said, I went into the courtroom. I swore I, I took an oath. And I lied my pants off. That right there is a great example of what it looks like to violate the third commandment. Taking God's name in vain. It's to take it as if it means nothing. Here's a second way that we can take God's name in vain. It's to take his name lightly. Lightly. Since God's name and his identity are tied to one another, we are to take his name and hold it in high esteem. One of the ways that we can take God's name in vain is to downgrade it to the level of a curse word, to use it to express anger or disgust. And so we're probably very familiar with this application of this command where someone calls on the name of God or Jesus Christ, or, or weighty theological terms like damn and hell, and, and use them to express their anger over something. Several years ago, I was gathered at the family farm with some of my uncles and my brother and, and kids, and there was also some of the neighbors, the surrounding neighbors, and we were gathered around a fire just visiting with one another. And, and one of the, the neighbors, I don't think he intended to offend me, but he kept calling on God to damn various things. And there was something within me that says, enough is enough. I've got my little kids, I've got my, my nephews running around, and, 
And he's creating awkwardness already, so how about I create a little awkwardness too? And just said, sir, I, I know you probably don't mean to offend me right now, but when you are using God's name like that, I find it very offensive. And it was a kind of a showstopper, but, but in time, things picked back up again. And the next day, my uncle came to me and said, Chad, that's just the way farmers talk. And, and he didn't mean anything by it. And I said to my uncle, that's the whole point. That he was using God's name as if he didn't mean anything by it. And so we can use this little OMG, oh my God, and have no reference at all to praise or prayer. We can use the name Jesus or sweet Jesus. And, and, and to make you squirm a little bit, if we're just going to be a little honest, sometimes we can use the phrase, well, praise the Lord. And it's certainly appropriate to praise the Lord, but we can use that phrase in church circles without actually meaning it as an expression of worship, but just kind of being an empty phrase that comes out of our mouth. And you know where else we can use it, church people? We can actually take God's name in vain when we pray. Jesus taught us in Matthew 6, verse 7, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. We can pray something like this. Oh God, Jesus, help me, Lord. Lord, help me. Jesus, will you help me with my tongue today? Oh God, Lord, Jesus, help me. Spirit, guide me. Lord, help me. Jesus, help me with self-control. And it's as if we use his name as a comma or an exclamation point or punctuation when what we are really supposed to do is be thoughtful and reverent in our prayers. Here's a third way that we can take God's name in vain. We can use it to express false authority. There were times in the Old Testament in the Scriptures when a prophet knew he would never have been heard unless he said something like this, as surely as the Lord lives, or God has spoken. Let me quote to you in Jeremiah 14, verse 14. And the Lord said to me, The prophets are prophesying lies in my name. I did not send them, nor did I command them or speak to them. They are prophesying to you a lying vision, a worthless divination, and the deceit of their own minds. The idea here is to evoke God's name to add credibility and weight to your statement. Phil Riken in his book on the Ten Commandments said this, A more serious way to break the third commandment is by using God's name to advance our own agenda. Some Christians say, the Lord told me to do this. Or worse, they say, the Lord told me to tell you to do this. This is false prophecy. God has already said 
whatever he needs to say in his word. Of course, there is also an inward leading of the Holy Spirit, but this is only an inward leading, and it should not be misrepresented as an authoritative word from God. You know, there are other times as we look in, in our society, and we can look to the Scriptures, and we'll see another way that God's name is abused is when it is treated like a magic word. Uh, listen, think of a politician that has offered a speech. And in some cases, that politician is, is speaking in such a way of things that God has made clear that he is against. And at the end of that speech, what does he say? God bless you, and God bless America. It's as if God is approving what I am saying without giving any thought at all to what God thinks of what they have just said. That's just a tag. And that's another way that God's name can be taken in vain. Or how about this passage? Jesus in Matthew 7, verses 21 and 23, speaks about how his name can be used like abracadabra. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And cast out demons in your name. And do mighty works in your name. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. You see, there is power in the name of Jesus. But it is not to be misused. It is to be used in, in relationship with him. Let me give you a fourth and final way that we can misuse or take God's name in vain. It's when we seek personal profit from his name. It's occurred to me, maybe you as well, that God's name is big business. And it is possible to be so talented in public speaking, writing, recording songs, and performing them, that the name of God can be capitalized on without even being revered. It's possible for a person to know the niche, a Christian audience. And if I write this way, if I sing this way, if I perform in this way, that I can make a, make a living at doing that without even respecting or fearing God's name. Now, that's not to say that all preachers, authors, or Christian musicians are doing this, but it is possible. These are ways that we can take God's name in vain. Now, perhaps you'd step back and you say, well, let's consider context here, Chad. There are ten different commandments. And I understand, yes, that we ought to keep God first and foremost. That's the first commandment. And I understand that God's name is to be valued. That's what we're getting at here in the third commandment. But clearly, this is not as serious as offense as killing someone or lying, or committing adultery, or stealing, of all the commandments, this must be one of those that God overlooks, right? Well, let's consider again the second part of verse 7. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless 
who takes his name in vain. Here's the second point of the message today. God will hold each person responsible for taking his name in vain. Let me just give you a few illustrations of that. Turn with me to the book of Leviticus. We'll look at one in the Old Testament and one in the New Testament. Leviticus chapter 24, verses 10 through 16. And instead of me just articulating to you how much God values his name and how he will punish us, When we don't value his name, let me just let the word speak for itself. Leviticus 24, beginning in verse 10, it says, Now an Israelite woman's son, whose father was an Egyptian, went out among the people of Israel. And the Israelite woman's son and a man of Israel fought in the camp. And the Israelite woman's son blasphemed the name and cursed And they brought him to Moses. His mother's name was Shilamith, the daughter of Darbari, of the tribe of Dan. And they put him in custody till the will of the Lord should be clear to them. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Bring out the camp, the one who cursed, and let all who heard him lay their hands on his head, and let all the congregation stone him, and speak to the people of Israel, saying, Whoever curses his God shall bear his sin. And whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him, the sojourner as well as the native. When they blasphemes the name, shall be put to death. We see how serious God is about his name, about his reputation. This is in the Old Testament Let's look in the New Testament. Would you consider Acts chapter 19? Acts chapter 19. And here is a way in which the name of Jesus is being used like abracadabra. And let's see how his name is taken in vain. And how these people experienced immediate punishment for it. In Acts chapter 19, verse 11, this is the book of Acts of which unfolds the story of how the early church came into being. It says in Acts 19, verse 11, And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hand of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. And then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. And seventy sons of Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them and overpowered them so that they fled out of their house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Do you see it? 
there were these people that were attempting to use the name of Jesus to cast out demons. They had no relationship with Jesus. They were just simply using his name for power. And as a result, they experienced the power of the demon. It made a fool of them, beat them up, and humiliated them. This is what the scripture tells us. Jesus said, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. Sometimes we come into a church on a Sunday morning and think all is well for us. We've had a good week. We're walking with the Lord. And then someone opens up the law of God to us. And we see ourselves violating his law. We haven't revered God's name. We've taken it lightly. We've taken our relationship with him lightly. And we are guilty of taking his name in vain. It wasn't long ago I was visiting with someone that I had just met. As they were telling me their story, they expressed to me how they had a spouse that had this sudden physical condition. They didn't know it was serious. They went to the, the doctor, found out it was very serious, and immediate action was required. And it could be, it, it could be that that's your response to the Word of God this morning. As you, as you have come here today, you realize as you are honest with your own life and the Bible, you have broken this law. And I would say to you, immediate action is required. When we sin, death is the result. Yes, a physical death, but ultimately a separation from God that if not dealt with will turn into an eternal separation from God. And if you want to be restored, if you want to be healed, there is only one way. There's only one name in which you can be saved by, and it is through Christ. And He died on the cross for your sins. He was buried, and three days later was raised to life. Your only hope of avoiding the punishment for breaking this law is to know that Jesus already took the punishment for you. And you must place your faith in what He has done for you. You must turn from your sins. And then each of these commandments can not only be stated negatively, and that's how we've addressed it so far, but it can also be stated positively. Let me just leave you with the third and final point of the message today. If you have been forgiven, if you have been saved, if you've been set free from sins, once forgiven we are able to hallow God's name. When we look at Jesus' model prayer, it's called the Disciples or the Lord's Prayer. How is it that he started that prayer? Our Father, who art in heaven, listen, hallowed be your name. That is, honor 
your name in our lives. Oh God, as we begin this day, as we begin our lives with you, at the very forefront of how we want to live is to honor your name. Because if we are honoring your name, then we are honoring who you are. And as we consider the life of Jesus, he never took God's name in vain. He had always valued his name. And that's what I want to hold out for us today. It's not just to see this commandment in the negative, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, rather to see it in the positive, that we are to bless his name. I've included an assortment of scriptures in your outline to, to help you on your way in this. Consider Colossians 3 verse 17. Paul wrote, And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. We honor His name not only with our mouths, but we also honor His name with our lives. Just yesterday I was in the kitchen gathering some things and one of my sons came home from mowing the grass here at church and I could hear Melody say, let me ask you, as you were mowing the grass... Did you do that for the glory of God? Were you honoring his name in the way that you were just mowing the grass? And that's a great question, parents, that we should be asking. Every little thing that our children do, are are you doing it for the glory of his name, his reputation? And I'll just say this, moms and dads, you are going to set the tone, aren't you? How the name of God is valued so you will have to set an example for your children. And one of the things that our, my wife and I have had to do is we've had to calculate what kind of language we want to allow in our home. Now, if our neighbor comes over and, and he says some things that are spontaneous, well, we can't necessarily control that. But if a summer blockbuster is released, we can evaluate if God's name is going to be valued in preparation before we put our family before that. And you're going to have to decide, moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas, if you will do that. But I'll tell you where we've done is we just said, we want to value the name even in movies. We want to make sure that God's name is not taken lightly or offered as curse words there. If we have control over that, we feel like we want to set an example for our children in that. We see the book of Psalms as a wonderful example to us. Look at Psalm 29, verse 2. It's in your outline. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. Or, or how about this one? Psalm 103, verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. We are to bless His name, not take it lightly. One of the ways that we can do that is to have a lifestyle of good music. Listen to what it says in Psalm 66, verse 2. Sing the glory of His name. Give to Him glorious praise. And so it matters what music we are listening to because music can provide an opportunity for us to 
value God and value his name. And there's a lie that's been circulating within the churches, I think, that if you can't sing, then you shouldn't sing. But there's nothing here in the scriptures about that. A couple of weeks ago, I was in that church there in Mississippi, had an opportunity to preach for a friend. And, and during the song service, I was standing next to him, and that brother could not sing a lick. But I loved standing next to him because I knew that when he was singing, he really meant. So one of the ways that we can bless the Lord is by using the gift of music that stirs our affections in returning that back to him. Here's here's a few other things. By prayer, Genesis 4, verse 26, "At at that time people began to call upon the name of the Lord, inevitably we will find ourselves way in over our heads. And one of the ways that we can honor his name is to call out to his name in prayer and dependence. And then Isaiah fifty ten tells us, Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? Let him who walks in darkness and has no light. The, the, the Isaiah there is speaking about we can... Trust in his name. Trust in his name. When I was in seminary in Fort Worth at Southwestern Seminary, the president at the time was a man by the name of President Ken Hemphill. And I remember him sharing on occasion a story of how he grew up in a very humble and modest family. His father, I believe, was a farmer scratched out a living as best he could. And his son, Ken, was a strong, able young man that actually earned a football scholarship. He was a tight end at Wake Forest. And as his father was about ready to send him off to early football practice and then off to college, they gathered all their things together and were having that goodbye meeting. And his dad said to his son, Ken, I've raised you as best I could. I've taught you to work. I've tried to set an example for you. And now you are leaving. And you're not coming back. So when you leave, I want to remind you that I'm giving you one thing. It's one thing that's very precious to me. It's my name. And when you go, and when you talk, the places that you will visit and the people that you will meet and the way you conduct yourself, just know this, that you're taking my name with you. It's precious. And if you are a child of God and you have been adopted, you've been forgiven of your sins, you bear the name of God, hallowed. May his name be honored in your life. What an absolute gift. He has disclosed himself to us by his name. And we have to cherish it. 
It is precious. And I just wonder, as we conclude our message today, would it not be appropriate just to do an inventory of how we are doing with God and His name? Before we leave today, let's just make a few decisions that if we have not been honoring His name, that we would get that right before we leave. Confess that. Repent of that. The other thing I think we ought to do is just make sure that we are all about valuing God and valuing His name. So I'm going to ask Miss Karen to come. We're not going to have a, a song of invitation today. I just want to have a little prayer meeting. And the altar here will be open. Um, if you just want to say, I, I want to be about your name, God. I want to be about valuing your name. And if, if you're like me, I, I, I haven't been valuing it the way I ought to. You would come. And you certainly could do that in your chair and ask forgiveness. You could do it here at the front as well. Why don't we just take some time, confess sin if we need to, and then by the grace of God, say, I need your help because I want to hollow your name. I want your name to be honored in my life. The altar here is open, or you can pray right where you're at. Let's make sure that we are blessing his name. Father, we thank you for your word. As we are working through these commandments, we are realizing that you've offered them for our love, for the freedom to be able to enjoy life to the fullest, that we can find our satisfaction in you, that we can have right relationships with you and with one another. James tells us that we are capable in one breath, really, of, of worshiping you and cursing another person. And oh, how we need your help to have a heart change. That we would honor you with our mouths and honor you with our lives. As a church, help us to value and fear your name. Revere it. And where we have taken it lightly and flippant, convict us that we would cherish you and your name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.